Hey guys. Um, so yeah, I was, uh, I think I got to preface this joke. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm living at my parents' house right now and they keep trying to give me their cat. Uh, and, uh, I am, I'm, I'm not a cat person. It's one of my f many, many flaws. Um, and, uh, it's not, it's, it's not that I have anything against cats. It's just, I can't tell if they're planning my demise or what, you know, nice with a dog. At least I know they, they like me. Um, but, uh, it reminded me of the, the two, the two jokes I know about cats. One involves a stapler, so I'm not going to talk about that one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The, um, but uh, we are going to be in Philippians 4, and we're talking about uh, relationships and, and, and restoration. And one of my favorite cat jokes, uh, Jeff Foxworthy talks about this. He's really talking about the relationship of marriage. And he says, um, marriage is all about compromise. She wanted a cat. I didn't want a cat. So we compromised and got a cat. And um, it cracks me up every time. But uh, but the uh, <laughs> we're 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 going to talk about broken relationships and restoring that. Um, and really, what uh, God's plan is for those uh, for those things. Um, how do we deal with really the messes that we make in relationships? How do we? Um, how do we deal with the messes that other people make? You know, we're, we're offering ourselves in these relationships uh, if they're real, and there's a chance for, 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 for pain, for injury, and for hurt. Uh, and I think we've all been through that. And so there's a guarantee that we're going to have broken relationships in our lives. And there's a guarantee that um, we're going we're gonna to hurt other people. It's just we're, we're a mess, sometimes intentionally, sometimes accidentally. Um, but if I were to summarize, we're continuing in Philippians, and if I were to summarize all of Philippians in one word, that word would be joy. The whole book, you know, it doesn't necessarily mention joy on every verse, um, but uh, through, the, uh, through the chapters, the underlying message is um, true and lasting joy from a deep relationship with Jesus Christ and with his church. And so it's all relational is what I'm getting at. It's a joy that surpasses external circumstances. So no matter what's going on, the church is supposed to be joyful. It's um, grounded, uh, and that joy is grounded in the hope of our salvation. Um, so through all that, Paul is, um, exhorts us in Philippians to rejoice and find contentment and focus on Christ. And that's been kind of the, the theme underlying everything that we've been talking about as we've been going through Philippians. So in four, chapter four, um, all of we've kind of hit the conclusion, right? This is the final chapter of Philippians, where Paul is going to bring it all together. I've been um, working. Uh, I promised him I wouldn't tell him any tell any stories, but I've been working with my my son on his uh, writing, and <laughs> and uh, he's been learning what an introduction is, what a what a you know what what a body is, and what a conclusion is. And in the conclusion, it it's when everything comes together, right? When everything kind of finishes and and establishes. Like I told you, what I was going to prove to you in the introduction. These are the things that that prove it. And then finally, the conclusion is the result of like, see, this is what I've told you. And so. We're going to take one bit, the first three verses out of Ephesians 4, out of the conclusion. But throughout the entire conclusion, you can see the rest 
of the, the earlier parts of, of Philippians laid out. Uh, and so this conclusion is, chapter four is all about pursuing Christ and never giving up. It's about endurance. It's about pushing forward. It's about taking uh, what Paul has established that we believe and applying it. In, um, so if we look at, you can open up to Philippians 4. Uh, am I there? Yeah. No, I'm in Psalm. There we go. So uh, 4, 1 says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to come before you this morning and just thank you, Lord. Thank you that we're here, Lord. Thank you that we're talking about something so fundamental to uh, our who we are, Lord. You've made us relational, Lord. And um, so we just want to lean into that, Lord. We want to learn what proper relationships look like, Lord. We want to be your church and be that, uh, and be your disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first, uh, first thing uh, Paul says here is to stand firm. And uh, so when we're talking about that kind of pushing on that endurance that I was talking about, pursuing Christ, never giving up, the first thing he says is stand firm. And this is a transitional phrase. So basically, it's pointing back to all the stuff that we've been talking about, specifically to our citizenship, which we'll talk about, and then pointing forward to applying that in a relationship. Um, we, uh, we see this, that it's pointing back to uh, the first starts with therefore. And, you know, the old joke is if you see a therefore, you have to ask, what is it there for? Right. So like, why does this say therefore? It's like in conclusion. And if you came in the middle of my conversation, and I said in conclusion, you'd be like, what is he talking about? You know, uh, so when you see a therefore, you need to and you need to pause and say, OK, well, where does this go back? And um, so it's like saying in conclusion, it's like saying it follows. So then it's like a logical statement. If then. Right. So therefore is then part of the if statement. So, um, this really takes us back to chapter 3, um, 20 and 21, which says, there we go, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So this is what Nick covered uh, last week, that our citizenship is in heaven. It's based on an eternal place that is never going to be destroyed. It's based on uh, an eternal God that has been the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? It's saying that you have security, Christian, you have an established, no matter what is going on, no matter what the political climate is, no matter how things, how bad things get around you, that you can rely and trust that Christ, that you belong to Christ, 
to give you a picture of what Paul means when he's talking citizenship, um, if you remember, um, if you're familiar with the story, when Paul gets arrested, he gets beaten. And uh, so then, like, without asking many questions, they take him and they beat him. Uh, and Paul then, in conversation, I almost feel like it's, like, offhanded, but, like, I don't, he lets them beat them, beat him. He doesn't say anything. And then he says, do you know I'm, I'm a Roman citizen? And then all of a sudden, everyone's suddenly scared because it was completely illegal for them to do that. So there were different rights, different position, different, you know, expectations for a Roman citizen versus a non-citizen. So when, when, uh, when Paul says our citizenship is in heaven, there are different rights, different things that we can rely on as a citizen of heaven um, that we gain. So meaning that no matter what situation you're in, getting beaten up by whatever, you have that, your citizenship in heaven, right? So he's saying stand firm in that. So with that as your background, the stand firm also, I said, looks forward, right? So it's backwards and forwards. So now that we've got that behind us, I'm a citizen of heaven. That's, my, that's where I'm standing right now. Now let's deal with the mess that's all around here. So the rest of this chapter, we'll focus on that, and we're going to spend time looking about how we stand firm in our relationships with each other, specifically, because like I said, we're, we're a mess. And Paul wants to foster firmness, stability, endurance, perseverance, and faithfulness before God when faced with all the trials that we go through. So how are we, how are we supposed to deal with people? Like, uh, what does standing firm look like when somebody else completely just breaks your heart? Or when you do it to somebody else, you know, we're messy, we're going to fail. That's a guarantee. Sometimes, like I said, we hurt people accidentally, sometimes we do it on purpose. And, you know, what do we do when, when saying, hey, I'm sorry is not enough. So how are we supposed to stand firm in our joy when, when, when there's all this, this chaos going on, right? Well, um, first of all, you have to be there, right? If we're supposed to have joy in our relationships, they have to be honest and true relationships. We need to first be vulnerable and open to this pain. Because um, one reaction to look at this messiness is to say that I'm not going to go to church, or is to say that I'm not. I'm going go to go. I'm going to show up, but I'm not going to talk to anybody. Or I'm going to, you know, I'm I'm there just to learn, and I'm not there to be involved. Whatever it is, there there's a shield that you can put up this hardness of your heart that you can establish to keep yourself safe from the mess. Um, but um, but that really is. It, I'm going to say something controversial. That's that's not being a disciple of Jesus. That, isn't, that is distinctly not Christian. Um, in college, my roommate said one of the most profound things that I've, I've kept with me my entire life. He said, Christianity is about radical love, just completely radical love. And what, he was, what I think he was kind of getting at was, uh, in John 13, 35, it says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. A lot of times we cut that, that short, and it's good to love everyone, right? We're called to love, um, but it says specifically, you are my disciples if you love each other. 
And that's, where pe- that's what people should see when they see the church. They should see deep relationships that are open and, and loving and, 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 and messy, like honest, real. Love without any truth in it, like, oh, hey, I love you, man. I'll, I'll see, you, see you next Sunday, whatever, um, is, 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 is a flat-out lie. It really is. It's, it's an empty, false love. And if you're holding back, then you aren't loving, I'll be honest. Like, you've got to be transparent with each other. And in that, we will find our purpose and our joy because we are designed to be this way. Whenever we're fighting against it, we're fighting against what we've been made to be. You ever notice how, um, how great you wind up treating everyone else and then you, you just totally trash your own family? Some, you know, even, even small things. Like, uh, I'll find myself at somebody's house and like, I'll, oh yeah, hey, I'll do the dishes for you. But then I'll go home and there's a pile of dishes on here because the, the, I'm not willing to put the energy into that. I'm not willing to invest in that. So then I'm, I take that mess home with me and the guard's down and I'm just, you know, a monster. Um, I, I, in fact, I even remember um, I was watching a, a pastor, a, a sermon talk, uh, a pastor talk at a sermon. There we go. Um, I don't remember exactly what the point was, but he was talking about his relationship with his wife. And, uh, and this is a big church. And he was talking about um, he was fighting with his wife. Uh, and he, he finally shouted at her and said, why don't you like me as much as everyone else likes me? <laughs> and she said, because I know you. <laughs> right? So there's that, that, that we can be rough and raw with each other when we're open. Um, so, but Paul is saying to stand firm and to have that openness and that transparency in those relationships. Um, like I said, it is essential to the Christian life. It is essential to life. In fact, um, as I was looking into this, it just things were kind of coming together for me. And, and you realize that this is a truth that not only did Jesus say, if you're my disciples, you'll love each other, but God established this way back in the Garden of Eden. Um, the... And, and, and we see that sin and Satan has been destroying relationships since the beginning of time. Uh, the, one, of the, one, of the, one, of the, one of the modern philosophers that I, I, I like to follow is, is, uh, is Matthew Peugeot. Well, I don't remember if this was Matthew or his brother Jonathan because they're both modern philosophers. I'm not even sure if they're... Christian, to be honest, but he was talking about Genesis and, and kind of going into like the symbols and and the and the and the ideas behind the Garden of Eden. I mean, it, life would be better for me if one of them would just like become a mechanic so I could remember their names. Like, oh, it's not the mechanic one; it's the philosopher one. But um, but anyways, he's talking about the symbol, the the established like tropes, if you will, in in the Garden of Eden. And he says like, look, paradise means walled garden. And so he's establishing that outside of paradise is chaos, and inside of paradise, this walled garden is order, right, structure. And uh, he says that, you know, uh, Adam was called to kind of order things, 
give names to the animals, maintain that order. Eve came in to help maintain that order. But uh, we see like a bit of chaos getting in to the Garden of Eden, which is the serpent. Comes in and says, hey, you know, I'm going to mess this up. And, um, and he does. The, but what we see is kind of a relational dynamic between Adam and Eve that is very, um, it's, it's general, but like I think it, it applies well. That we see Adam kind of doing order, and Eve, if you remember the story, serpent offers her the fruit, she takes the fruit, she goes, takes it to Adam. Eve kind of establishes, it establishes her as speaking for the voiceless, right? Like her relation, relationally open to kind of hearing and kind of expressing this in a way that Adam would was, was not paying attention to. And so kind of there's this relational dynamic there of like them working together, even in that. Um, and we see that Satan was targeting one, not both, not together, but one separated so in, in, also we know that in the Garden of Eden that God would walk in the garden in the, in the evenings. So there was that tight relationship not only between Adam and Eve, but Adam and Eve and God. And in one day, Satan destroyed all, uh, both of those relationships, right? He destroyed the relationship between Adam and Eve, and he destroyed the relationship between them and God. Because what's the first thing... Eve gets the fruit, eats it, takes it to Adam. Adam takes it, eats it. God shows up and says, did you eat the fruit? And what's the first thing that Adam says? It was her fault, right? Destroying that relationship. And that sin came in and destroyed the relationship that we have with God. And so, like, relationship and then from Genesis through Revelation, the entire Bible has been about restoring that relationship, those relationships, both. Um, in fact, uh, I've, I've had this discussion with quite a few people who try to pull out weird things out of the Bible, like, um, oh, see, this proves this science, scientific theory, or this proves this scientific... And I'm like, that might be in the Bible, but the real point of the Bible is Jesus, through all the way through. The real point is the redemption of us. And so... The um, yeah yeah. So the uh, if you look at even uh, Jesus when he's being asked by the a lawyer comes and says, "What's the what's the what's the greatest commandment? What what is the one thing? If I was going to do this God thing the right way, what's the one thing that I should do?" And Jesus says, I'll give you two. One, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Two, like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Relationships are essential to Christianity. And so, sin will always destroy our relationships, and we are called to confess our sins to each other for healing, not for absolution. That comes from God. In James 5, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. It's important that uh, we remember as we get into these relationships that we are all image bearers of Christ, of God. Um, so when we hurt each other, when we sin against each other, 
that sin is against what is stamped on us as this eternal seal and, and beautiful, no matter Christian or not, you are made in the image of God. And when we sin against you, we're sinning against not just you, but also God, what God has made. So that's where Christ comes in, because it takes Christ's forgiveness to get past that. It takes Christ's forgiveness to... It takes the sacrifice of Christ on the cross to reconcile us with God for even our sins against each other. So starting in verse 2 of Ephesians, of Philippians, it says, uh, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Sintiki to agree in the Lord. So the first thing he calls for is unity. We never, we don't, we don't know anything about these women. We will never see them again in the Bible. How would you like your only entry to be in the Bible? Can you make sure Andy cleans his act up? Like, he's screwing it up. And then that's it. At least some of the people, you know, uh, Paul says, cast them out and then let them back in, right? You know, they, get, they kind of get the conclusion of their story. But what we're told, we're not even told what they did wrong to each other. How serious was it? Well... Not serious enough that Paul says, kick them out, but serious enough that he says, I want you guys to agree in the Lord. And it's interesting that Paul doesn't say, I command you to fix it. You know, like uh, when you have kids, you tend to say, apologize to each other now, right? There's that kind of, the dad voice comes out, of me at least. Um, and then it's like, you're going to fix this now, and you're, I don't care. I want you guys to have the right heart, but you need to say the right thing right now, right? So there's that kind of like, Face each other. Growing up, um, my parents would, would say, say three nice things to each other. Those were the quietest times in my life. I was like, ah, I, we're angry at each other. How can we say anything nice? Right? You're getting forced into that. Paul's not doing any of that here. He's saying, I entreat you. I beseech you. Right? Paul, just in um, um, chapter 3, threw all his credentials on the ground and said, look, I'm, I've been the perfect Jew and it's completely useless. I'm not going to appeal to authority. I'm going to instead appeal to Christ. Because before that, he talked about Christ coming in humility and talked about love in chapter 2. So Paul is showing, is proving to them what he just said in verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, and this can be read as brothers and sisters, so we're clear, this is people. Therefore, my people, whom I love and long for. He is establishing that he does Love them because he's coming to them in gentleness. And you'll recognize love through gentleness, not through force. And if you've been to any wedding, you've obviously heard, you know, 1 Corinthians 13 that describes love like this. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So Paul is imitating Christ in this correction. He's coming to them with love and saying, I'm, I want you to, to agree with the Lord. He's bringing God into it. So what does this really look like? We've got plenty of broken relationships. What does agreeing with the Lord look like? It's like, like I said earlier, it's like when I'm sorry is completely meaningless. In fact, sometimes I'm sorry gets you angry. Somebody just, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's like, shut up. Stop it. I don't care. Because 
really, if you think about it, the real problem with I'm sorry is I, you're telling me how you feel. I'm sorry just says, I feel bad about this. I'm like, okay, you should feel bad, but you haven't asked me how I feel. You haven't involved me in this discussion. You're just saying, I'm sorry. It's like, um, you know, when you get angry and break something, you're like, oh, I'm sorry, I broke it. Like, well, that doesn't fix it. Uh, this never happened to me. Um, so true, rec true, true reconciliation, true restoration requires more than I'm sorry. It requires, it requires uh, a, and this is what Paul is getting at. He says, I want you to agree in the Lord. I want you to be of the same mind. In um, Philippians 2.3, it says, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Remember I said that Paul is reestablishing the things that he said here and applying them. So he says, be, agree in the same mind. And then earlier he defined that, complete my joy by being in the, of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So we don't stop it. I'm sorry. We start with humility. Reconciliation begins with that humility, the humility we see in Christ established. Because remember, Christ has done this work as well. As well. Christ has come humbly and restored our relationship with God. And the second step is to ask forgiveness. Because asking forgiveness is more than I'm sorry. It's how do you feel? Are you, I feel terrible and I am submitting myself to you for your forgiveness because I know that what I've done has broken you as well as me. So asking for forgiveness gives the other person a voice. And then, and we're to lift up the other person. It says in 2.4, look to the interest of others. So when, we're re when, when relationship is being restored, the, if both people have the mind of Christ, both people are lifting each other up, it's kind of like the, you know, when you see that, that buddy, you're like, hey, you're awesome. They're like, no, you're awesome. No, no, you're awesome. No, no, you're awesome, right? Kind of that back and forth of like, I am now... I know that I've ruined our relationship or our relationship is ruined, but I'm now going to put you first. In fact, oftentimes, um, if, I've, if I'm having trouble with something, somebody, there's like a, a, a broken relationship somehow, maybe I understand it, maybe I don't, the first thing I start doing is I pray for their blessing. If, they're, if they've offended me, if I'm angry at them or, or whatever it is, the first thing I do is try to lift them up to, to the Lord. It not only puts them where they belong as God's creation, God's image stamped on them, but it also puts my heart where it belongs, which is I need to be lifting them up and praying for their blessing. The other thing that uh, is, I think, maybe one of the harder parts for me um, is that uh, reconciliation, restoration can take time. It's not instant. It's like, oh, I realize I did something bad. Oh, will you forgive me? Oh, okay, everything's good. It can take time. It can take longer than I want it to. Uh, in fact, um, if you look at uh, the book of Philemon, uh, is the story, well, Paul's writing a letter to uh, 
to help restore a slave. Now, I, I say that, and I want to be very clear, that the Bible never once says slavery is good, nor does it say, nor does it say like, uh, anything positive about it. But it st instead deals with the world as it was. And so what we have here in this situation is Onesimus has run away, has become a Christian, and Paul knows Philemon, who's also a Christian. And Paul is writing a letter to him to, sit, to, to restore their relationship. So this is what Philemon says, what Paul says, For this, perhaps, is why we parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while. Accept him back as a brother. You are both brothers. You should have that relationship. You should have restored brothership. Brothership. Brotherhood. Brotherhood. Sorry. Um, but there was time there. There was time where Onesimus came, served with Paul, became a Christian. God worked on them individually, and Paul is praying that they will come together again. And so there is time in restoration that is, that is necessary. And then uh, restoration uh, requires the truth, like I said. There are times when a relationship needs to be broken. There are, Paul here does not compromise on the truth. It's foundational. In fact, in, in several times, you know, in Galatians 1, for example, um, Paul says to cast out lies. So you, when we are restoring relationship, there can be no lies in that restoration. Like I said, with the, the cat joke was funny, right? You know, we compromised. I gave up on what I wanted. Uh, but uh, this, when we're talking about true restoration, again, you have to be honest with each other. You have to be honest uh, and at the center of it, it has to be a restoration that is founded in the truth of Jesus. I, I, um, even Jesus says that he will break up families, which is a hard thing. But that is only for the truth. The, uh, Augustine says it this way. as one of the church fathers says, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, love. Right, so in essentials, in the very essential things of what it means to be a follower of Christ, Jesus came, died, rose again. I'm saved. I'm, my citizenship is in heaven. In essentials, unity. These are the things we agree on. These are the things that make us Christians. In non-essentials, liberty. I think that the music is too loud, or I think that you know whatever it is. Not that it is. Worship's great. Thank you, but uh, but like. Whatever it is that we can get just all stuck on, that stuff, we need to let go. And we need to lean into the truth. And then in all things, love is what he says. So I, I, that's one of my favorite quotes. Um, so how do we know the difference? How do we know it's what's worth, you know, like breaking a relationship? How do we know what's, what's worth giving you time? How do we know what's worth restoring? 
Um, this is why Paul says to agree in the Lord. We know from what God has established as essential to Christianity. We know what, what, um, we know what, um, that we want to pursue good things. We know that we want to do these things. And if it's sin, then, you know, that needs to be confronted and that needs to be, um, you know, there, there are processes laid out in the Bible for that, but there may come a time not every relationship can be saved and that you know that at times in um in other places in the new testament like i said uh paul has says to cast people out because of sin in their life and to let you know hand them over to satan for a while that their soul might be saved so knowing the difference requires prayer and requires time in the Lord, time with the Lord, and requires, uh, you know, the church, it requires, like, all the things that we are here to know the difference between those two things, um, and if you are starting with agreeing with the Lord, so everything that God has established is essential, then you'll know the difference, um, so in verse three, restoration also involves the entire church, so it says, side by side, uh, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together, uh, with um, Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So a bunch of the commentaries are like, well, we don't know who this true companion dude is, like, or gal. We don't know who this person is. Uh, they... They could be Epaphroditus. They could be they They try to get into the technical details. I don't think it really matters. And in fact, I think that um, I think what's being said here is that church, you are there. Help restore relationships around you. Help restore the relationships as a true companion. And so, so there's no. Again, the only way we get there is if we're honest and true and real here in our relationships with each other. I'm, you know, I've got a real problem with so-and-so, and Andy really screwed up and got me angry this way. Well, go talk to Andy. Let's go fix it. No, let's pray about it, and then let's fix it. You know, let's, let's, let's have serious, open relationships with each other and be honest. Hebrews 10.24 puts it this way, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We can, only be, we can only be the church. We can only be God's church, Christ's bride. We can only be known for our love for one another when we are real, real with each other and we were, when we have uh, the mind of Christ. And when we have conflict, we need to love each other. All of this is uh, what we're called to do. And uh, our example of all of these things is, is Christ established. Um, he reconciled us with God. So if we go back to, if you want to go ahead and go back a few pages to Philippians 2, verse 5. I'll just scroll my app. Okay, there we go.
2.5, um, he has reconciled us with God. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not actually count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, there's that therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at any at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father we see all of reconciliation those points are here Christ came in humility remember we said rec- reconciliation begins with humility when I'm sorry is not enough in verses 7 through 8, he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. We see um, he seeks forgiveness on our behalf, right? In 9, it says, Therefore God uh, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Uh, it works um, in us to repair our, broken, uh, our brokenness, that getting that mind to be in agreement with the Lord. In verse 5, it says, have this, mind among, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You have that mind of that agreement. And he does all of this, again, in truth, with, without compromising on the truth at all. It says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed him uh, on him the name that is above every name. That is the truth that we hold on to. So what we need to do is pray that we have Christ's mind in our relationships. If we want to be the church that people are talking about, Nick was talking about in an emergency, we go over to the park. Well, it kind of reminded me that they, they in the power of the Holy Spirit, the disciples in, in that upper room went out into the park as the the. Holy Spirit came upon them uh, with flames on their head, like flames. Gave them, they went out and spread the good news. Starting here, starting the relationships here, people seeing something different, something powerful, something real, not fake. The most tolerant people, and I'm using the, I'm using this in the sense of people who are real, honest, and love you regardless of what ever you've done. The most tolerant people have to be Christians, have to be the church, the people who, who really know what love means and really practice it. So we're going we're gonna to spend some time in prayer, and what I'd like to do is something a little different. Uh, I think we've all got broken relationships. I think we can all think of, 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 of those things. So if, you, if God has brought to your mind a relationship or God has brought to your mind uh, somebody who, a relationship you know about, I want you to go ahead and stand up. And what we're going to do is uh, we're going to have everyone around you pray with you. So if you, if you have a broken relationship that you would like prayer for, feel free to stand up. And I'll close my eyes if you, if you don't want anyone staring at you. But like, like this is our chance to, as a church, be that true companion. Okay, thank you. All right. 
if you can, if you're, if you're, if if you can reach out your hand or get up and go go up to these people, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna keep praying. Um, but I, I just want I want I want us to kind of be there for each other. Okay. And Lord, as we just, um, as we enter into our time of worship and praise, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are, you know how to restore the most broken relationships. Lord, it says we were enemies fighting God, and you came humbly down, and, and just your son died for us, fixing a relationship we weren't even interested in fixing, Lord. You can restore life from death. So we just offer these things up to you, Lord, and we just pray for your miracles. In Jesus' name, amen.